In a world where it seems totally normal to listen to a podcast about the Toronto Argonauts, it's the X's and Argos podcast. Welcome to the X's and Argos podcast brought to you by Funny Bone Broth. My name is Ben Grant, joined as always by JB. We've got our second bye week of the young season, and there's quite a bit to cover as the team prepares to head out to Halifax to take on the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. There's a bunch of stories that are are coming up and have come up. We're going to address them all today. Chris Edwards' suspension was reduced. What does that mean for the Argos defense? We're going to talk about the Kahari Jones, Baron Miles uh, dismissals in Montreal. Um, first on, on their on their own on the surface, sort of as a CFL move, but then also how that impacts Toronto and what changes might be on the horizon in Toronto in terms of coaching staff and players. We've got our power rankings to update, and there have been some some pretty big changes because neither of us were too high on BC coming in, and obviously that's going to change. Plus, we've got our fantasy advice. Tough week for fantasy with only three games, and we'll finish it off with our CFL picks looking to rebound after a rough week last week. All that more coming up on this episode of the X's and Argos podcast. Let's get into it with Chris Edwards. So this is a, a pretty huge development, JB. We went from a six-game suspension to a three-game suspension. First of all, let's just talk about the move itself. Is this the correct move for the CFL to cut Chris Edwards' suspension in half? I think so. It, it, it was a potentially much uglier uh, incident than it turned out to be, in my opinion. Um, you know, I think... Uh, it, it wasn't it wasn't as significant uh an issue you know speaking as a toronto fan but i i think that it was an unfortunate interaction and an unfortunate breakdown in security and three games is a hefty suspension you know so i think i think three was reasonable i thought six was way too much yeah i agree with that and i think like you said too once people started looking into it like this was in the heat of the moment, uh, the the league lashed out and and were pretty harsh, you know, uh, with with everybody involved on on the, the wrong end of this. But uh, it it did come down to it really being a security issue. And yes, I think Chris Edwards did need to be suspended. I think I think that that is without question. You can't have players taking matters into their own hands like that, regardless of the security situation. But I think three games is su- sufficient, and he's now going to rejoin the team. And so. I guess the next thing is, how excited are you about having? I know, I know the sandbacker is sort of an extension of the the secondary, but on paper, your three linebackers right now: Enoch Mwamba, uh, McManus, who's been playing lights out, and Chris Edwards, uh, who was probably the best Argos defensive player for most of the season last year. If he, if we get first half Chris Edwards, I think it, this could be an absolute game changer for the defense. I think you can bring in much more action out of the linebacker position in terms of blitzing. Um, there's more things you can do with your with your defense when you feel that those three linebackers can all do their job really, really well and you don't have to have any any help. Um, I love it. I, I, I honestly think it could be um, a real noticeable difference in the first game in terms of the, the speed and the and the types of plays the defense can draw up. And I think Chris Edwards is in my mind, like I know I talked about Sam being another DB spot. 
But in my mind, it really shouldn't quite be. I think there should be a subtle difference there. And Priester, I think, played extremely well, especially being a CFL rookie. I think he handled himself very well. Yeah. But he's just not, to me, he's not a, a Sam linebacker. He's not, hasn't been trained by that. He's, he's been a corner uh, who happened to be able to play Sam Backer really well. Edwards brings something that Priester doesn't. And I know we're coming off a game where Priester did have some effective blitzing and stuff like that. But Edwards has an extra 25 pounds of weight on, on Priester. He's a big guy who blitzes a ton. And he was really effective uh, as a blitzer last year. He had a number of sacks, a number of pressures. He disrupted as a run defender as well. So, you know, guys like him and... Uh, you know, any anytime you can get like Dexter McCoy is another one last year who I know he filled in all over the place. But guys like that who are sort of hybrids, who are DBs, but they can kind of play anywhere are who you want in that in that Sam position. I think Chris Edwards is going to elevate the play of the defense, but also it gives you the flexibility because you've got Robert Priester who can now be a really good game tested backup for either halfback spot for either corner position. Um, and also for that Sam Backer spot. And it allows you to expand a little bit like we saw the defense do with Dexter McCoy last year, where they ran a lot of those three-man fronts and suddenly you throw Priester in there on the field. So you take out a defensive lineman, you add Priester to the field, and basically you're running around with with two Sam Backers, two halfbacks, um, which just gives you a, a lot of uh, difficult situations for the opposing quarterback. And Toronto used it really well last year. I know we've got a different defensive coordinator but obviously they've gone over stuff they've got the same positional coaches they've they've seen the film Uh, I would love to see Toronto throw something like that at Saskatchewan this coming week sometimes an injury is you know is a big deal because you're losing somebody of standard quality but sometimes an injury is an even bigger deal because you're playing dominoes with different positions and you have somebody filling in for him who fills in for him who fills in for him and you're robbing Peter to pay Paul. And this is one of those scenarios exactly that to be able to put Priester back into the DB pool absolutely changes your depth, changes what you can do. It's more than just adding in a linebacker. I think it I think it settles the defense um, across the board. It's a, it's a really big add. And I think the Argos maybe in anticipating a reduction in the suspension were smart with how they used Edwards in the preseason in in practices in having him in there with the starting unit so this isn't just going to be like he's coming in completely cold now never having repped in a year it's not like that so um he's going to come in fresh healthy and you know he's going to he's going to be absolutely on fire uh, just coming out of the tunnel next week uh he's he's going to be all over the field expect to see a few highlight reel Chris Edwards plays uh, in that first half of the Saskatchewan game. It's something I realized putting together our top 50 Argos plays last year. Uh, One of my favorite video pieces to do, but in putting together an end of your highlight reel, you realize sometimes for the first time, just how impactful a certain player was. And so in that package, Chris Edwards, of all the defensive players and all the defensive plays last year, he really stood out because every game there was a Chris Edwards highlight. I, I think we're going to see a couple in Halifax. So, yeah, I'm excited about that. Let's talk about the Kahari Jones, Baron Miles dismissal. This to me is uh, this is a mistake. And regardless of what you think about 
Kahari Jones or Baron Miles as the as the defensive coordinator. And maybe we'll just focus in more on Kahari Jones as the head coach. Regardless of what you think of him as a head coach, dismissing him through four weeks of the season means either you're making a mistake now in dismissing him or you made a mistake in the offseason in bringing him back. If you are making a change this early in the year, to me, especially with a, a known quantity like Kari Jones, a guy that you had there previously, that means to me you should have let him go in the offseason. And that was your mistake. Now, I personally think it's a mistake on, on both ends uh, because I don't think he should have been dismissed midseason, I, I, especially after four games. The, the team's not playing that badly. They're a short field goal away from being a 2-2 two and two football team with a huge win over Saskatchewan, arguably the biggest win in the Eastern Division this year. And that's just not a situation where I think you're looking to change someone. So to me, this this reeks of it being an excuse to fire somebody, just like I felt like the replacement of Trevor Harris uh, or with uh, uh, of uh, the replacement where, where Trevor Harris came in for Vernon Adams in the middle of a game where Vernon Adams was like two for four. He was playing okay. And you take him out. You were looking for a reason to take him out. You were looking for a reason to put Trevor Harris in. And I'm not saying that was the wrong move, but you were looking for that. And that's what this feels like. They were looking for a reason to dismiss Kahari Jones. And so now Machocha comes in. He's going to take things over. It's going to be a Calvillo-heavy offense. I don't know what they're going to do quite on the defensive side of the ball. But yeah, I, I hate everything about this this switch. <laughs> um, I I mean, I love it because Montreal is between us and the playoffs. But uh, I agree. Any midseason firing is... Uh, a failure on on behalf of the ownership management you know if you if you allow a uh, coach to enter a season on such a fragile position that's just terrible management you have to make a decision you like, just as you say you decide that this is not the coach for us the moment you decide that then that's management right you turn the page and go but to roll the dice and see maybe he can be, that feels like an economic decision, not a football decision. Because if you feel from a football point of view, he's not the right coach for you, then then that's it. There is, there is no further play needed. Um, if you feel like you don't want to pay two coaches, well, that's a different conversation. So I feel bad for him. I, I'd love to see the Argos pick him up for the staff. I think he has, uh, I think he has a lot to add. I, I don't know how that would go over, but uh, it would be hilarious if we could add our number one rival. That's right, Hamilton, our number one rival, uh, former coach. And remember, they lost their best offensive player. It's, it was an offense. You know, he has as the head coach. and A hundred percent. It uh, feels like a general manager who wanted the coach again. Yeah, it completely feels like that to me, and that's and that's what's happening. But yeah, I hate this. You lose your your number one offensive weapon, the guy that your entire offense is built around, and he goes down. You're still competitive in games. Big win over Saskatchewan. You're you've switched quarterbacks in there as well due to injury and also uh, situation. Uh, it's just been it's been a mess in Montreal for a few different reasons. And none of it was Kahari Jones's fault. Uh, those situations certainly weren't. So, yeah, I would love to see him, you know, added to the Argos coaching staff. The good thing about something like that is we know last year from how Coach Dinwiddie handled 
all of those different former head coaches who were in here. You know, coaching on a staff where you've where you've got uh, Chris Jones and not to mention Stubler and and all the other guys with 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 coaching experience, head coaching experience. You know, Pinball Clemens looking over your shoulder, all that other stuff. Uh, Coach Dinwiddie can handle it. So bringing in Kahari Jones, I don't think would be an issue that way. I would love to see him added as like a, an offensive advisor or something. He was he was a great player, great quarterback, had a, a great mind for the game. And so I think anytime you can you can bring in someone like that, it's it's huge. So we'll we'll see we'll see how that works out for him. I think he probably ends up not doing anything else uh, this season and will be very much sought after in the offseason. Let's transition to talking about Toronto and if possible changes could be coming to the Argonauts. It's a team that hasn't looked as good so far this year as they did last year. Are there potentially any coaching staff changes coming up? <laughs> changes to personnel? Um, it's hard to change personnel. Um, you know, is a big blockbuster trade coming? I, I can't imagine that the management is uh, enthralled with the Devaris Daniels experiment so far this season in terms of catch per dollar spent. So that needs to be addressed. You know, I, I think, you know, you, you, you look at, you, you look at a trading him or making him the primary cog of the offense. I'm, I'm not sure, as I've mentioned ad infinitum, uh, what the plan is there exactly. So I can see that potentially being a move. Uh, Coaching-wise, I'd be really surprised. I feel like Dinwiddie has earned an, uh, a second season. you got some new coaches. They've earned a second season. But, uh, you know, after the season is over, there, there could definitely be some reflection about, you know, why last year went better than this year. But we'll see... We'll see how they turn it around. We're, you know, we're only early days yet. We're only three games in. So I'm not, you know, I, I really feel like you can't make any decisions till you're six in. And then you know what a team is. I'll address the coaching thing first. And then we can talk a bit more about, about Deveris and some of the other players. But in terms of the coaching staff, I might have had concerns had that Winnipeg game gone differently. I was certainly worried after the BC game about Coach Mace as a defensive coordinator. I was worried about what was happening in the secondary, the combination of of Coach Fields and Coach Bell. And that, to me, sorted itself out in the Winnipeg game. I don't think Coach Mace could have called a better defense against Winnipeg. They were all over the place. The defense was uh, just excellent all around. Everything about them, the play calls, the execution, the improvement in the secondary, their zone coverage was fantastic. Their man coverage was great. They had uh, surprise blitzes that really caught Winnipeg off guard. They were doing pretty much everything right. So to me, that put to rest any concerns I had about Coach Mace and the combination of, of Bell and Fields um, in the defensive secondary. And I really don't think, like you said, I, I, don't, I don't question Coach Dinwiddie as a head coach. Now, as an offensive coordinator, I had a lot of questions, but those were addressed too, because if you take away... A couple of plays that McLeod Bethel-Thompson made, those two early interceptions, which are just balls he should not have thrown. You take those out, it's a really good game from the Toronto offense. And systematically eliminating all of the issues that I had with them in the first few games. They stopped running those tight end sets that we just didn't have the personnel for. They made an adjustment 
in terms of their uh, route combinations. They were running stuff downfield. We had a lot of deep concepts, something that I've been complaining we didn't have enough of. And they ran a lot more quads, which was something I was asking for too. So everything that I felt they were doing wrong, they adjusted and, and fixed uh, for last week. So in terms of coaching, I'm really happy with that. The one thing that remains, and I don't want to get too off topic here, but the one issue I have, maybe this transitions us into talking about Diveris Daniels, is I still don't think Banks should be playing X. I still don't think he should be the ISO guy in the, the quads formation when they go uh, four to one side, one to the other side. I, I think that should be Daniels. And I still think Daniels should be playing the X because that is his position. And you talk about him underperforming and maybe not getting the catches that he's he should be getting for for his profile and and his salary he's not playing his position and that's because eric rogers has been hurt but i think before we can really evaluate diverse daniels we've got to put him back to x and then see what he looks like and maybe you got to wait till rogers comes back but i still think you find a way to move guys around i think if you're keeping the same personnel like i've been saying for a few weeks now you find a way to either put Phillips in a W or you put uh, you put a Richardson in a W. Someone's got to be able to play that spot, allowing Brandon Banks to go back to a spot that he's more comfortable in, allowing Diverse Daniels to, to play X. So that's the one thing I'm waiting to see the Argos staff change. But everything else they've, they've done. So, yeah, I don't think any Toronto coach to me is, is on the hot seat right now. Any other players stand out to you where you think, you know, maybe they need to bring someone in. Maybe there needs to be a move here. They're going to need to bring in some offensive line help. Uh, everyone is looking for it. It's not easy to do, but we and will an Eastern team trade with them? It'll be hard to trade with the team from the West, um, but they're going to need an offensive lineman in the mix. They're not going to be. You know, they're not going to be able to make it through the year. Uh, you know, hopefully Allen can keep going, but. They're going to need an actual offensive lineman. Like I would suggest a like a starting offensive lineman. So that's gonna be a real player they have to trade for it. But that would be my move. I think you have to. I don't think you can you know, you can't paddle the shore with a hole that size in your boat. Yeah, I agree with that. And you know, we we know Alan has he he toughed it out. I'm still amazed he played last week and I, I give him so much credit for getting out there. He clearly wasn't 100%. We saw him go down again late in the game. And it, the bye week couldn't have come at a better time for him. But this could be something that lingers. We're really early in the season. And the wear and tear on knees for offensive linemen, uh, you know, I just, I, I don't think, unfortunately, I, I just don't see Allen making it through the entire year without having a setback or, or something. And then on the other side, we haven't seen we haven't seen amazing play from Tate, but he's been okay. He's, he's he's filled in better than I thought he was going to, certainly. And we don't know what's going on with Isaiah Cage still. Like, what? how do you handle the Isaiah Cage situation? I know, you know you're uh, far more educated than me in terms of concussions and, and protocol and recovery and everything else. He's clearly having trouble getting back on the field. He had one practice where he went full and then that's the last time we saw him suit up. What do you do? What's the timeline like? The old expression is if you've seen one concussion, you've seen one concussion. So every individual is absolutely going to have a different, a different timeline. Um, if, he, if he is still feeling symptoms, that, you know, verging into long-term concussion area, 
which is a big deal, which means you, you really need to shut down uh, for, you know, a month minimum. You know, if you, if you still after two weeks are, are feeling concussion symptoms, that's, that's a real issue for, for you to tackle. That's, that's important to be dealt with. Now, there are times, I'm not saying it's in this case. I know that there have been cases, Sidney Crosby being probably the most famous one, where he found out that his concussion was, in fact, a deep tissue bruise. And there was a specialist in Montreal who identified that for him. But if, if it is a straight concussion symptom, yeah, I would, I would suggest he's probably out for a month minimum, um, if, if not longer, in terms of his own health. So that, uh, that, that, that just adds to the need to, to bring in. I, I'm looking for them to bring in a starter. I know that will be hard to get, but whether you offer a first or a first and a player to um, – <laughs> I mean, would Hamilton make a trade with us? Maybe. If we made it rich enough for them, uh, but that—that's what I would offer. But I'm sure the, they're also looking at: is this team championship caliber? I would bet that the the result against Saskatchewan would speak a lot to that. If if we're able to beat Saskatchewan, uh, th- maybe they come closer to pulling that trigger. If Saskatchewan takes us to the shed, then then it's going to be what it's going to be, and they probably don't pull the trigger on that trade. It's time for our updated power rankings. JB, our preseason power rankings, for the most part, were okay based on you know how I see it lining up right now. But we really missed on on BC. I had them near the bottom. I think oh, yeah. you may have had them dead last. Well, <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I, I didn't know that. Uh, you know, I didn't know Burt Lancaster was was going to uh, was going to play for the Lions. <laughs> Yeah, well, it it's caught a lot of people off guard. We weren't the only ones, but man, BC obviously is going to be somewhere near the top of our power rankings. But why don't we go through it? We'll alternate again, uh, going through from top to bottom with a little line of justification for each. So starting at number nine, JB, who is number nine on your power rankings? Who to you is the worst team in the CFL <laughs> well, right now? I, I will add this one caveat to the whole power rankings before we jump into it. It is a really weird schedule that none of the Western teams, the top Western teams, have played each other. Um, And uh, Toronto has not played Hamilton yet. So, you know, even though we're four games in, (laughs) the schedule makers are not helping the power rankers. So I I will just say that. So number nine, uh, I'm going to look. Do I believe this with all of my fiber? Maybe I won't. I won't say, but I am going to make number nine, uh, number nine in your program, number one in your heart. Your Tiger Cats of Hamilton. Uh, they are zero and four. I don't want to hear any complaining. You are the worst team in the league. I love that. I didn't go that route, but I I love that you're able to justify Hamilton as the worst team in the league, and I think it's absolutely justified. I'm not going that they way. They lost to Edmonton. I- I, don't I know they did. They are the worst home. team in the league. Period. I have trouble arguing with that. I tend to do my power rankings go to me more by eye test, and Hamilton really could have a couple wins that went the wrong way. Uh, that's the case for a lot of teams, and sort of like what you were saying with the scheduling. 
it could just be like Winnipeg. I know Winnipeg's undefeated. It's possible that Winnipeg is not a very good football team. They beat Ottawa twice. Maybe Ottawa's not a very good football team. They beat Toronto barely. Toronto really did outplay them with the exception of two horrible plays and a, and a missed extra point. And, you know, that, that, that may be something that's going to start sorting itself out this week when Winnipeg goes into BC. Maybe we'll get a better sense of, well, okay, now we see where everyone stands. Because we don't really have a good evaluation of who Ottawa is. We don't really know... Uh, who Winnipeg is, we, we're going to find out a lot of the those answers this week. But even still, I think we'll be asking some questions uh, going forward. So for me, Hamilton looked better than their record showed. I would love to put them on the bottom of my power rankings. But for me, it's Ottawa. And I'm kind of surprised at that because I wasn't one of the people that had them winning the division or even making the playoffs. Um, I had them pretty, I think I had them eighth uh, in my power rankings to start out. I... I I just haven't seen enough from them yet. And after two seasons of being absolutely terrible, of being the worst team in the league, I need to see more from Ottawa. I need to see that they know how to win. And they haven't, obviously they haven't shown that yet. They haven't won yet. So maybe this is the week and they'll actually uh, put a win together. But I, I don't project that. And I don't see that. So to me, your Ottawa Red Blacks are number nine. I'll go number eight next. And I know... People have an issue with this because we've seen a head-to-head. I've got Edmonton at eight, not Hamilton, even though Edmonton beat Hamilton. Because again, I'm just looking at the eye test and I think about Toronto playing against these teams. I, I have no fear about Toronto playing against Ottawa. That's why they're nine. When I look at like Hamilton and Edmonton, I would much rather play Edmonton. I know you've got the revenge of Chris Jones and stuff like that, but I'm I'm putting that sort of emotional part of it aside. I just don't think Edmonton is a good football team. I think Hamilton if they have their day, can beat anyone in the league. I think Edmonton is weeks away from being able to string wins together. So for me, they're number eight. My number eight is uh, Edmonton as well. Um, they It's close. Look, everybody's really close. Uh, Edmonton and Ottawa are really close statistically if you look at, at different aspects. I think Ottawa, to me, gets a little bit of a boost because they pushed BC. Um but uh, I, I think Edmonton, we'll see with the new quarterback if if that kind of fires them up. Um, Hamilton is just, they're just a team that's, you know, in the midst of a terrible run and everything that could go wrong is going wrong. Uh, I think Edmonton is improving, as you would expect under Coach Jones, as I expected. Uh, but right now at game four, I would take Ottawa just slightly over Edmonton. Uh, I think that Ottawa has... You know, it calmed itself at quarterback with Mazzoli. Um, they they run the ball well. I I I think Ottawa won't be ahead of Edmonton when it's all said and done. How's that for a hedge? But right now, I've got Edmonton eight. Where are you going for number seven? I guess that's got to be Ottawa, right? Yeah, I have I have Ottawa right there. I, I, there's not much to separate these two. Obviously, Edmonton got off to a terrible start, so that hurts their statistics. Um, you know, Ottawa drew Winnipeg twice. Um, we're, we're competitive with Winnipeg. You know, they they win the competitive medal, and that's enough for me to get them to seven. But I feel like they might be approaching their ceiling. And we've got the same bottom three. Hamilton is seven for me. I just think they've looked better than both Edmonton and Ottawa, aside from the 
catastrophic moments, those just weird turnovers. Like you're looking at in in two Hamilton losses, you're looking at a quarterback sneak that Dane Evans, you know, that probably I I still think that should have been blown dead. I don't think that should have been a fumble return for a touchdown. So that causes one Hamilton loss. And then just the weirdest play last week, Hamilton basically in their four minute mode trying to kill time. And Dane Evans has the ball beautifully punched out on an option play. Uh, these I know they're fumbles, they're plays, but it's sort of like the Argos where, you know, a couple things go differently. And, and this is a very different season for the Ticats. They they really should be two and two, but but they're not. So that's why I've got them at seven. We've got the same bottom three. But yeah, I've got I've got Hamilton seven, Edmonton eight, Ottawa nine. Let's move into the next tier that we've got. And I think we're probably going to see some subtle differences between you and I here, too. What I will say, just before I get to six, is I love the parity that there is this year. Instead of, like, 2019 was the worst, where Toronto was so bad, Ottawa was so bad, it was basically an automatic win for any team that played either of those two teams. Last year, it was the Red Blacks that were an automatic win, and it was so frustrating because I think Montreal played them every other week. And so from a Toronto perspective, that was really annoying. There is no team like that. So even those basement three... Hamilton, Edmonton, Ottawa. I think those teams can beat any team on any given week with the exception of maybe one team that stands out above everyone else. But everyone else is pretty close. So my number six team is Montreal. And for me, I I think they were outplayed by Toronto. I know Montreal missed a 21-yard field goal. They probably should have won from that respect. But Let's not forget, Toronto was the better team that day. Toronto dominated Montreal for huge sections of that game. And I just think they're a better football team. So we're talking about that next tier. I think Montreal is at the bottom of it. And it's not helping that they just fired a a head coach I like and a defensive coordinator that I like. So for me, Montreal has got to be at the bottom of this, this next tier of teams, number six. Yeah, for me, six is uh, Toronto. Uh, I have I have Montreal above Toronto. I think Toronto has shown flashes of of what they might be, but I, I didn't think they played particularly well in that first Montreal game. I thought they played well in the second half against Winnipeg. Obviously, the British Columbia game skews things quite a bit in terms of statistics. Um, I I think Montreal, statistically Montreal is stronger. Uh, they have a stronger offense. Really, the only thing Montreal can't do very well is stop the run. But statistically, they're they're a better team than Toronto. Um, I, I have Montreal uh, ahead of Toronto right now until Toronto figures out its offense. I think Montreal is just ahead of Montreal is just ahead of Toronto. And of course, playing in Montreal is still the nightmare it's always been. So that that to me gives them the nod. And Toronto's your number five? Toronto, I have it five, yeah. And then and then we head out west. So yeah, I've I've got oh, Montreal's my five. Oh sorry, Montreal yeah, at five, Mon- I mean. Yes, yeah, so I've got Toronto my five, at five. And then we head out west. Yeah. Yeah, and I've I've got Toronto as my five for the the reasons that I said before in, in breaking down Montreal. But I do think those I think they are five six. I can't, you know, we're we're talking about small differences. We've got the same seven, eight, nine. Essentially, we've got the same five, six. Essentially, and but now you've got the the good teams in the West as one through four. If you look statistically, though, Montreal is pretty solidly better than Toronto in almost every category. 
They are, but I think it's because Toronto has been really good at shooting themselves in the foot. Yeah, I think no, I that agree. has skewed things. No, this and is right. This is not an end of year. I'm just saying after after the quarter. Yeah, I I I, I guess it, it's pretty close to me. So number four, I really wanted to try and find a way to put Winnipeg here at number four because I just don't <laughs> think I don't think they're. I don't think they're what they were before. I expected them to be one of the best teams in the league again. And they are still a very much mistake-free team. But just after watching them play Toronto and seeing what happened in that second half, I'm not at all sold on Winnipeg. That said, I'm really not sold enough on Calgary either. And just kind of watching a bit more tape this past week, I think Winnipeg is slightly better because they're less mistake-prone than, than Calgary is. So Calgary is going to be my number four team. I think they're a good team. I think they, they can play against anybody, but there's their quarterback play is not as good as it has been in years past, and I don't think they're ready to move on quite yet either. So there are some questions there. Um, and I think they're gonna. I think they're in, in trouble uh, going to Edmonton tonight. You know, I think that's going to be a, a much tougher game than most people feel. So I've got Calgary at four. I also have, yeah, it'd be nice to be a little different from each other, but I also have Calgary at four. Calgary's been a real surprise to me. I I didn't think they were going to be that good. Of course, that's a great franchise, and, you know, I guess it's not surprising that they've got their act together. Um, They have, you know, they have won a lot of very close football games that that tends not to be a sustainable model. So I'm going to... Still hold off on on putting Calgary ahead of the Grey Cup champs uh, at this point, but Calgary certainly has impressed me. I I just wonder how many more games they're going to win by three over the course of the season. Who's your number three? Uh, number three, I have Winnipeg. Uh, I think Winnipeg, like you say, Winnipeg from a coach's perspective, I bet Winnipeg was a wonderful, cool breeze for the Argos defensive coordinator when he watched their film, where <laughs> on a very different level, but from a high school level, when you play a team that runs spread and you're chasing the quarterback everywhere and you're like, holy moly, how am I going to shut down this circus? And then you get some team that lines up and runs, <laughs> you know, runs straightforward routes and drop back quarterback. You're like, all right, here we go. Thank you. Um, that's what I feel Winnipeg is. They are the Grey Cup champs. Mike O'Shea is my guy. I, I, I still think he's the best coach in the league. Um, I, I can't put them one, two, but they deserve to be three. Um, defensively, they're still very good. Um, fundamentally, they're a very good football team. Uh, they force teams to play perfect and most cannot. So I hope this is not seen as any disrespect. I think Winnipeg is a hell of a team and I'll be damned if they don't just end up running their <laughs> vanilla offense and vanilla defense into the Grey Cup. That would be uh, that would be a win for uh, for football purists. Um, but yeah, I, I like Winnipeg at three. Uh, their defense is still quite good. Their offense, you know, uh, as much as he's our fantasy favorite, th- their offense still has some significant issues. Uh, Brady Oliveira, uh, not not really getting it done. So I think I think. They are a clear three behind the two powerhouses. Yeah, and I see that as well. I, I don't think Winnipeg just doesn't have the stars that they had before because the difference between the Winnipegs that were winning Grey Cups and what we see now is, you know, the coaching's still the same quality. I know they've lost coaches and they've still managed to keep it because like you said, O'Shea is 
the best head coach in the league. I don't think there's any question about that. But the difference is there's nobody that strikes fear in you like we've seen from Winnipeg teams in the past. To lose Lawler and Harris, that's huge. Yeah, and and their defense doesn't... They don't scare you the way they did before. That people have sort of found ways to work around that deadly pass rush, and that you know that really wasn't an issue with Toronto last no. week. They found a way to work around it, and they were able to to set and get deep sets, even with you know even with Shane Richards coming in at, at right tackle with Tate, who's been a bit questionable at, at left tackle. It just wasn't really a problem. They found ways around it, and that that Winnipeg D line isn't what they were. But that said, they just don't make mistakes, so. They belong in the top three, but because they lack that star, they're number three for me. So my number two is Saskatchewan. Uh, they're just they're just simply not as good as BC. BC's in a tier on their own. Saskatchewan belongs in a tier with Winnipeg and Calgary to me, and, and they are the best of those three. They had a hiccup in Montreal, but a lot of people have hiccups in Montreal. It's a really tough place to play. And they were working with a new center for the first time, which did really impact their game. You saw how how different Saskatchewan looked last week when they were able to rectify things versus what they looked like the week before dealing with a, a rookie center for the first time. They changed everything around. You know, last week, suddenly they're they running like, you know, power formations and really getting the ball out quick. And that's not what we saw um, in Montreal when they lost. They were trying to run their regular Saskatchewan offense and it just it just wasn't happening. So that's the reason for the hiccup for me. I expect them to to fix things and separate themselves a little bit from Winnipeg and Calgary over the next few weeks, but they're still not as good as BC. So uh, yeah, Saskatchewan's my number two. Uh, my number two are the Lions of British Columbia. Um, they have looked very good, but in a Big capital letters. They beat uh, really not much. They've beaten Edmonton. They've beaten Toronto, and they barely beat Ottawa. Um, they have not played the meat of the West yet. I love Rourke. I think BC is very good statistically. They are fantastic. Uh, Saskatchewan was my preseason number one. Uh, that Montreal loss was a really tough short week. And like you say, the center went down. Saskatchewan to me is still the number one team in the league. So British Columbia, I I have it too. I think I'd love to look, this Winnipeg game is going to be huge to get a sense. I think they could very well blow the doors off Winnipeg. Um, but I, I want to see that first. Uh, I, I, I obviously as a Toronto fan respect British Columbia's, um, firepower, but it's it's early yet, and I I think that teams will start getting film, and they're getting into the meat of their schedule. I, I have BC number two, just because I I don't think the drop from who I thought Saskatchewan was before the season is very much at all. They look exactly like I thought they would. They look like a hell of a football team. And BC's number one for me because they have done something that no one else has done in the CFL of this year, which is blow the doors off two different teams. They looked absolutely dominant in two different games and then looked very competent in a game where things didn't go their way. And they still found a way to win on the road. And to me, that's that's what separates BC from Saskatchewan. I think BC's got more playmakers, uh, more guys that have done what they're supposed to do we haven't really seen that from the Saskatchewan the receivers that we expected to to dominate like Duke Williams hasn't really been himself I know he's been banged up but 
it's not like the Lions have been without injuries. They've lost a ton of guys. So um, to me, they're they're ahead. But like you say, this BC-Winnipeg game is going to tell us a lot about both who the Lions are and who the Bombers are. So I'm sure this, just like, you know, just like every other power rankings, it's, it's going to have to change week to week. But I'm pretty happy with where we are now. The only difference I see in my list from your list is that our tiers are a little different because I have BC in a tier on their own. And then I have Saskatchewan, Winnipeg, Calgary, whereas you have, it sounds like Saskatchewan and BC sort of together in the same tier, but Saskatchewan a little bit ahead. Yeah, I, I for sure. Saskatchewan, for me, my tiers would be Saskatchewan, Winnipeg, and then, um, or sorry, Saskatchewan, BC. And then after that, I would probably go four teams. I would probably go uh, Calgary, Winnipeg, Montreal, Toronto. I think that that's that's tier two for me. I think I I think those two Eastern teams are are right there with Calgary and and Winnipeg, um, as, as shown by when they played each other. But uh, I think you look at Saskatchewan, like Saskatchewan is number two in offense. Um, they're you know number number two in in rushing defense. I think they're number four in passing defense. They have 21 sacks. I think Saskatchewan is just going to get better. Um, so I, I I think that they are still the, the 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 cream of the crop. They actually now have the best defensive line in the league, and that's something that has really propelled them. So I, I get like I'm not saying they're they're not a, a deserving team, but I just I'm not scared of their offense the way I'm scared of BC's offense. But yeah, I think they have the best defense in the league. I think they're they're going to be really tough uh, to to score points on um, as they gel more and get better. That defensive line is is sick. I think, and I think too that the BC Ottawa film will be instructive. I mean, that's the nature of professional football: is when when you play a team and they play you tight, everybody goes to school on that film. So now, can you do something else where there wasn't a lot of film, and maybe Toronto, like me, didn't necessarily feel like BC? You know, it's BC, and they went out and got their doors blown off. But now, you know, film is gathering. Ottawa played them tough. Ottawa easily could have won that game. That, that'll be interesting to me to see how BC adjusts to the league adjustments as, as more film is gathered. The next time we do power rankings at the halfway mark of the season, I'm sure our lists will be entirely different. But yeah, for now, I feel pretty good about where we are. It's time for our world-famous fantasy advice, JB. We put together another winning performance this week. The X's and Argos fantasy team is on fire right now. And so, yeah, our our fantasy advice should be much sought after. This is a tough week for fantasy players because you've only got three games on the schedule with uh, Montreal, Toronto, and Hamilton all on their bye week. Um, I think there's two ways you can go strategically here. I think you can either I think you can either sort of load up in the backfield and really spend money on two running backs that you know are going to get points. Looking at uh, James Butler and Kadeem Carey. Or you can really spread the wealth out and, uh, you know, go with go with $5,000 players pretty much across the board. And there's some real hits there. I, I, I would not spend money this week on a high-profile receiver. I just don't think it's worth your while. I think there are so many value receivers that you can play in the receiver spot and in the flex spot um, that are going to generate points. And so... I think one of those two strategies is the way to go. Don't spend a lot of money on a quarterback this week. Don't spend a lot of money on receivers this week. 
and then make your lineup from there. So when we put together our lineup, uh, we like Zach Kolaris at quarterback, $7,920. Um, in terms of the, the quarterbacks available, uh, you know, he's he's basically in the same price tier as uh, Jake Mayer, who's who's not even starting, and Trey Ford, who's who's got his second start, Drew Brown. Like, these are all basically the same price. You're $900 more for Caleros. Uh, that's that's huge value. I don't care if he's on a short week and his offense isn't exciting. No, and I I don't love the matchup, um, but at that price, you, you can't say no. Uh, he's a he's a good quarterback. He's he's gonna move the ball okay. I think the price point is the selling point. And I know a lot of people have been riding Nathan Rourke all year, and it's you're probably undefeated if you have been, or maybe you lost in in week two and BC was on a bye. But yes, I know. He's got you a lot of wins. He's $12,700 this week. He's without Burnham. He may be without Lucky Whitehead. We don't know how that's going to work out. Winnipeg's defense is better than all the defenses he's played so far. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not uh, anti-Nathan Rourke. I think he has looked like the best quarterback in the league so far. Uh, I'm a big fan of his. I'm cheering for him. I just don't think the value is there. And I've been wrong every week so far because I haven't thought the value's been there any of these weeks and he's proved me wrong three times I don't think the value is there this week so yeah I'd spend my money on Zach Caleros I think Trey Ford is the only other way I'd go maybe maybe Bo Levi Mitchell at 8,500 but I just think I think Caleros is the easiest play at quarterback yeah it's not so much how much better he is the question is is Caleros, how closer is Caleros to to the number one guy than, say, your running back if you chose the number three running back who might do nothing for you? So I think Caleros, you know, is going to get, he's going to give you something as opposed to if you really have to spend nothing on a on a offensive position. I like, I yeah, I, <laughs> I hate the matchup, but I think Caleros is good for 250 and a touchdown. For running back, we really like James Butler this week. So I talked about those two strategies you can go. We went with heavy on one running back. James Butler is the most expensive running back on the board this week. And that's not something we typically like to do. But I just think he's he's got a real opportunity this week. He had that huge week one and then really settled down after that. I, I think they're going to have to rely on their run game a little bit more this week with receivers being banged up. I think also... The Argos show that you can run on Winnipeg. It's much easier to run on them than it is to pass on them. And I think BC is going to be playing from ahead most of that game, which lends itself to more run plays. So I think James Butler is absolutely worth the $10,011 that we'll spend on him. It means we got to go light elsewhere, but I really like that as your big running back play. The only other guy I would pay that money for, Kadeem Carey. Uh, at 8600 If you wanted to go with him instead of James Butler, I think that's fine. I even like Jamal Morrow. Not so much, like he doesn't have the value that he did early in the season. He's now costing you $8,000. But last week, it looked like Saskatchewan was moving to a more Jamal Morrow featured offense. But that said, they've taken him off special teams. It looks like he's not going to be doing the returning that he was in previous weeks. So I just don't know that the value is there for him. So for me, if you're going to go big, it's on either Kadeem Carey or, or James Butler. For our other running back, we went super value here. Sherman Beatty, uh, who 
at 3,500 for a starting running back. This is sort of the Brady Oliveira strategy, who we still liked, and we tried to find a way to squeeze him into our lineup, but we just couldn't quite do it. He's still, I still think Oliveira is a great value. If your formula works out where you can spend that $4,600 on on Oliveira, or sorry, 4,900 he is this week, then for sure, do it. I still think he's great value. But yeah, Sherman Beatty for, Beatty for starting running back, especially because I think you're going to see more running from Trey Ford this week. And I think that's going to give Beatty opportunities because he's going to be uh, the the benefactor to defenses overcompensating for Ford's speed. So yeah, that's a that's a nice value play. You know you're going to get positive points from him. And at 3,500, that's, that's a big win. Receivers are exciting. There's so many different directions you can go. And we spent quite a bit of time talking about which receivers we like. Uh, we really like the BC guys. I know at one point we were looking at trying to get both Hatcher and Katoy into our lineup, but we couldn't quite make it work, both around the $5,000 mark. Uh, we went with Keon Hatcher, 5206 That's That's still really good value, no? Yeah, fantastic value. I'm, you know, I'm really surprised. Maybe that was based on they thought he he wasn't going to be a priority uh and then the entries came out but at at that price i think it's a steal and i think especially if lucky whitehead doesn't go and he hasn't practiced yet uh this week cuz he's dealing with that or he hasn't practiced fully yet this week cuz he's dealing with that ankle injury uh, i i would expect even if lucky whitehead can go he's not going to be 100% so i i think investing in hatcher is good i don't expect him to have as big a game as he did last week he basically got people fantasy wins including us last week but uh you know i I still think he'll put up good numbers better than his his expected production based on that on that value um yeah if you're going elsewhere i think katoy is a, a good play pretty much any other bc receiver uh is a good play i think you're probably paying too much for for dominique rhymes but anywhere else you want to go uh on bc i think is fine I really like Michael Pickton value-wise uh, for Saskatchewan. 3,658. He's going to be featured this week. They, I think they've got him playing uh, They've got him playing X. He's going to be in probably as their primary guy if Duke Williams can't go. We know Evans is out. There's just not a lot of targets left to go to. We like Schaefer Baker as well. And so we've got those two guys sort of as our receiver and our flex because it's just good value. Now, Schaefer Baker has has gone up in price, 6185 But I loved how they were using him last week. They were just trying to get the ball in his hands. And, you know, Pickton's going to be the same way. There's going to be more focus probably on Schaefer-Baker this week. Pickton's going to find himself open. But I like those quick passes to those guys. Let them make stuff happen after the play. Uh, go for a run. Uh, we saw that with with uh, Keenan Schaefer-Baker's touchdown. Uh, but I think we're going to see a little bit more play for, for Pickton this week. So, yeah, I love those two guys. Great value. Now, you had brought up the idea of, and we we wrestled with this for a little bit. Jalen Philpot at two thousand five hundred. We looked very closely at. He's a really interesting flex option. He plays tonight uh, at Edmonton. I wouldn't be surprised to see him get in the end zone. And so, if you really need to save money somewhere, you need that extra thousand dollars somewhere else, and you don't want Picton, then maybe that's your your way to go with Jalen Philpot. Uh, defense. Talk to me about defense this week, JB. There are fewer options than usual. We went with Calgary uh, at the minimum price of 3200 There's only three teams at that value. That's Ottawa, which we weren't going to do, Edmonton, which we weren't going to do, and Calgary. That just made sense to me. But is there any sense in spending 4000 on going with BC or Winnipeg's defense? 
No, I think it's well. If if anything, I would spend it on BC, but it's I don't want to bet against Winnipeg. Uh, I I think the Calgary play is fine, even though that game you'll see in my picks. I think that game is 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 much more of a toss up than people might might immediately think. But I, certainly, I don't think the matchup with BC is worth spending that much. Um, you know, for BC Winnipeg, I I need I need a clear I need a clear dominant situation for for me to spend that much money. And I think Calgary is going to benefit from sacks and interceptions. I think they are going to get points off turnovers and and have the potential to score as a defense far more than any of those other teams. Yep. So I, I think they're a really nice play at three thousand two hundred. Let's get to our picks. We had a pretty rough week last week, although two of those games could have gone either way. But yeah, we had our first losing week, both of us going one and three. Uh, with a, well, I, don't know, I, I agree. I, don't, I mean, it's, look, your record is your record, as they say. But you know, yeah, it, was it, was a rough, it was a tough Toronto loss. Yeah, um, it was a tough Hamilton and loss. <laughs> Hamilton's loss too. I can't. I still can't believe oh Edmonton beat Hamilton. God. I loved it. Like that was that was great, but. I still can't believe it happened. Yeah. All right, where are we going this week? Where are we going this week, JB? We got Calgary at Edmonton. I'll go first, as I am the leader. Um, Just barely. I'm up one win on you for the season. I I think Calgary beats Edmonton. Um, I just think they're a better team. I I think it's going to be tight. I think Edmonton has a chance, but not enough for me to pick them. Where are you going? I agree. Uh, I hate to just pick. I went back and forth on this. I'm going to trust my power rankings. You know, Edmonton 8 and Calgary at 4. They're in Edmonton. Edmonton is going to be playing much better because there's no better feeling than suddenly trusting your coach and the team buying in to Coach Jones and seeing results from there. You know, when you have a team that improves every game, that's like, uh, you know, steroids for a team. I mean, it, it absolutely dials you in. That's why it's so much easier to improve. Because teams that were terrible who suddenly start to get success, they buy in at a rate that you just can't um, recreate on a team that's just kind of fine and always fine. So I thought Edmonton at home, it wouldn't shock me if they won, but I can't believe the kid is going to be able to get it done in his second game against Calgary. Um, I, I, I'm going to go Calgary here, but uh, I'll be I'll be angry if, if Edmonton wins because... I really wanted to pick Edmonton, but I, I got to trust my power ranking. Going to go with Calgary um, tight, I think. Ottawa is at Saskatchewan. Uh, you're up first for this one. Where yeah. are you going? Uh, I mean, they're my team, obviously, in terms of who I think is great. I think that um, they take care of business uh, at home. Ottawa is pesky, but not beat Saskatchewan in Saskatchewan pesky yeah I understand I just can't you can't pick you can't pick Ottawa in this game it's not that they can't win like I think any team can beat any team uh pretty much um in the CFL this year but I just don't think it's a smart pick and so yeah I see Saskatchewan winning that game and I hope for the Argos sake that that is what happens because please god Saskatchewan doesn't lose that game (laughs) I don't I don't want angry Saskatchewan yeah, no, that's true. You do not want to play Saskatchewan coming off a loss at home to Ottawa. No, that would be the worst. No, you know, so I'm pulling for Saskatchewan there. Let's go. And then Winnipeg at BC. 
Uh, the Lions, I'm just going to keep picking the Lions until they lose because they look like the best team in the league. They are my number one team, so I will take them over anybody until they give me a reason not to. Uh, I, yeah, that's why I... Uh, you know what? I'm going to go but Can I go back and change a pick? Yeah, all right. I, that's fine. Yeah, because I hate us having the same picks. That's boring. I'm going to take Edmonton over Calgary. All right. So it's, it's what my gut is what, you know, the heart wants what the heart wants. And All right, uh, I'm writing that down. And Edmonton over Coach Calgary. Jones, you you're the guy that I thought would make Edmonton bounce back and I think they're going to get it done, he said. Uh and because for the last game, yeah, I like BC at home. Um <laughs> I don't think Winnipeg has the horses to keep up with British Columbia. Um but you know they they end up winning every game 23-21 so it, that wouldn't surprise me either if they went into BC and won 23-21 but i i like BC at home to to get it done against the the the, the automaton onslaught of Winnipeg's fundamental football the last thing that i want to address just before we sign off JB is Edmonton uh, made some waves this week by announcing that they were going to let kids who are 12 and under in free with a paying adult for the rest of the season. I would love to see the Argos do this, but more than that, I would love to see every team in the CFL do this. I, I said this on Twitter a, a couple days ago that the golf industry really figured this out years ago when they realized that their demographic was was aging and dying and they needed to do something about it. Golf, as expensive a sport as it is, is really cheap to play uh, if you're a kid. And so they realized if they could get kids into golf for very little money, those are going to eventually turn into full-paying adults at some point. And I think the CFL has got to do something similar here. I love what Edmonton's doing. Let kids in for free. Fill up the stadiums, especially if you're a state that's having attendance issues and most stadiums are right now let kids in for free build a younger audience build a younger fan base i i really want to see the argos jump on this but i want to see every team that's having attendance issues jump on this yeah i i believe we called for that a couple of years ago as one of our one of our suggestions for increasing attendance absolutely bring in families let make make especially in toronto where things are so expensive make it even more um appealing for a family of three or four you know if you go to the lease it's going to cost you 700 dollars. if you go to the movies it's going to cost you 250 dollars. you know you can come to the argos and it's going to cost you 50 dollars. um absolutely the argos should institute this yesterday now i know you know, maybe they feel like they're following, whatever. You know, a good idea is a good idea. I, I, I think they should, they should take it and run with it. As you say, I think, I think the league should, but I wouldn't wait for that. I would, I would take Edmonton's good idea and don't be so proud as to need to come up with your own idea. Open it up. Let's get, let's get another two thousand, three thousand people in that stands. Well, that will just about do it for us on this bi-week edition of the X's and Argos podcast. JB, you will be in Halifax next week as the Saskatchewan Rough Riders hopefully are coming off a win over the Ottawa Red Blacks and they come in to, uh, to play 
the Toronto Argonauts uh, out east for Touchdown Atlantic. So I'm pretty excited to to hear about everything that you've got to say in your covering of that event. Uh, and I'm hoping the Argos can get back in the win column with that one too. For JB, this is Ben Grant saying so long and may all your pre-snap reads be good ones. I'll see ya. Fight the ball.